topic for our demo talk this certain evening is Satna Chitta Nupasana. So mindful contemplation of Satna the mind and Satna this is bound Satna to follow discourses on well the mindful contemplation of the body and mindful contemplation of pleasant and unpleasant neutral feelings. Now, as we have seen already, what is referred to as a mind consists of two parts, namely consciousness, chitta, in the Pali scriptural language. And this chitta is conscious of an object. And then we have the mental factors which then color consciousness. And among these certain mental factors are factors such as certain greed, such as ill will, such as certain delusion, such as wrong view, pride and conceit, sloth and certain torpor, restlessness, worry, and certainly then shamelessness and certainly fearlessness of uh, uh, wrongdoing. And then you know, there are also quite a number of wholesome you know, mental you know, factors, you know, such as certain you know, faith, uh, such as certain you know, mindfulness, and certainly then you know, factors you know, like you know, tranquility, and certainly then you know, like. Uh, um, equanimity, neutrality of uh, the mind, then um, the lightness, lahuta, and certainly then um, rectitude of the mind, and certainly then also uh, the seven universals as we've seen, and the six uh, occasionals. And certainly wisdom, of course, also needs to be mentioned, as well as uh, um, oh, compassion, Karuna and Pali, and certainly sympathetic joy, mudita. Now, to repeat certainly that one of the definitions of consciousness of Nachita, namely that uh, as an activity. So consciousness then uh, is uh, that by uh, that which or is the, is the process of uh, being conscious of uh, the different objects uh, that arise. Now when we undertake this mindful contemplation of the mind, then we will discover all sorts of things. And during the early stages of the practice, we start out observing bodily formations such as the rising movement of the abdomen, the falling movement of the abdomen, and then pains and aches and hardness and softness and heat and cold, various certain movements, etc. And sooner or later, we find out that there are not just physical formations, but also 
mental formations around. And so these uh, you know, then, uh, in, you know, these then you know, become apparent in you know, the form of uh, you know, uh, wandering mind, in you know, the form of you know, sloth and you know, torpor, and you know, then also you know, in the form of you know, the you know, hindrance of sense desire, you know, the hindrance of ill you know, will, and you know, then you know, the hindrance of uh, uh, restlessness and you know, remorse, and certainly skeptical doubt. And then you know, there could also you know, arise some wholesome you know, mental states, certainly such as uh, you know, uh, calmness, tranquility of you know, the mind, clarity of you know, the mind, you know, that certainly oftentimes goes together you know, with faith. And certainly so in this way, a meditator already at an early stage, you know, learns to you know, distinguish between you know, physical phenomena and mental you know, phenomena. And so, you know, then when, you know, when one goes on you know, to you know, practice, you know, one, you know, will, you know, all, one will then you know, discover that you know, these you know, mental you know, phenomena are you know, connected. And causally you know, connect or, or you know, mental objects are you know, don't arise all by themselves, but they arise owing to certain uh, causes or you know, conditions. And a mental you know, phenomenon that has arisen may you know, then uh, have an in or, or cause some other you know, phenomenon to arise. Now, as we you know, then go on you know, with our you know, meditation practice, you know, we you know, might you know, discover that you know, in terms of mental you know, phenomena, you know, these, you know, just like the physical you know, phenomena, are subject you know, to you know, the universal characteristic of impermanence, anicca, the universal characteristic of unsatisfactoriness, you know, dukkha, and you know, the universal characteristic of non-self, anatta. So that's a major you know, understanding. And so, you know, then one will, with continued certain practice, or come to discover how the mind is certainly speeding up and how it becomes much more agile and also more energetic. And so easily can it observe and certainly know the phenomena that certainly very quickly arise and also very quickly pass away. So, as we've seen in the previous Dhamma talk yesterday evening, if we leave the mind in its untrained, untamed state, then such a mind is not really reliable. And then uh, as certain uh, one the meditator remarked certain uh, today, you know, such a mind you know, one you know, would not certainly even you know, be willing to take to a date. <laughs> and uh, 
Now, seeing the deficiencies of the untrained mind, one then has every reason to work on it and certainly then to train it and develop it so that it becomes a really powerful tool. Now, the Buddha has certainly given rather detailed instructions about certainly the contemplation of certainly the mind and allow me to quote certainly these using the definite the translation by venerable bhikkhu jnana moli and certainly the quote certainly will be or the passage will be from the 10th discourse of the Majjhima namely the Satipatthana Sutta, passage 34. And how bhikkhus, bhikkhunis, and the late meditators does a meditator or retreatant abide contemplating mind as mind. Here, a retreatant understands mind affected by lust as mind affected by lust and mind unaffected by lust as unaffected by lust. One understands mind affected by hate as affected by hate and a mind unaffected by hate as unaffected by hate. Then along the same line, one understands a mind affected by delusion as certainly affected by delusion and certainly one also understands a mind certainly unaffected by delusion as unaffected by delusion. And then one understands a contracted mind which is said in reference of sloth and certain torpor to be a contracted mind and a distracted mind is understood as such, namely as certain distracted. And here, a distracted mind stands certain for restlessness and certain remorse, udicca and gokucha in the Pali scriptural language. One understands a mind pertaining to you know, the jhanas, namely a so-called exalted satna mind as exalted and satna then an unexalted mind, you know, so a mind you know, that is satna connected with you know, sense fear and you know, consciousness as an unexalted mind. One understands a surpassed satna mind you know, which pertains to you know, the immaterial meditative attainments as surpassed and unsurpassed mind as unsurpassed mind. One understands a concentrated mind as concentrated and an unconcentrated mind as unconcentrated mind. One understands a liberated mind as liberated uh, as a liberated mind and certain unliberated mind as unliberated. Now, these mm, 16 you know, types of consciousness you know, will, or 16 kinds of mind you know, will you know, then you know, gradually you know, be explained in the course of you know, the talk. Now, before 
Now, going into you know, the details, you know, let us uh, you know, make a few you know, general remarks about you know, this contemplation of the mind. Now, when it comes to you know, the you know, observation of you know, let's say a physical you know, pain, you know, then you know, we have a tendency you know, to you know, strongly react towards it, and certainly you know, we may not certainly you know, want to observe it. And certainly you know, the same thing may also you know, happen you know, when you know, we you know, have to observe you know, some unpleasant, you know, some unwholesome you know, mental you know, state. Or you know, it may also happen that the mind you know, reacts certainly towards a uh, wholesome you know, state. And sometimes certainly we you know, tend to you know, suppress certainly you know, those unwanted you know, states of uh, mind. Now, in the fifth volume of uh, near the Anguttara section near 39, the Buddha near shares near some very interesting and also near very helpful near observations. Namely, he says near there are near things to be abandoned by, uh, with the body and not certainly with speech. And does any one of you know what this might be? Things to be abandoned by, you know, with the body. And not, I mean? Like uh, what kind of unwholesome action? Uh, what, verbally breaking a precept? Ah. Uh, yes, it's correct. And so, and then, you know, there are things to be abandoned with speech and not body. And certainly, so you know, this then you know, refers certainly you know, to verbal you know, transgressions, and certainly then you know, we have you know, things to be abandoned neither with you know, the body nor you know, with speech, but by insight on seeing them, and certainly so this is quite a different uh, approach. So what the Buddha is certainly proposing here is. Um, let's say, if you're engaged in some you know, physical you know, transgression, you know, like Venerable Viranyani said, certain, you know, breaking a you know, precept, so this could be you know, taking you know, what is, or you know, taking life, taking what is not certainly given, you know, indulging in sexual, unlawful sexual you know, relations, or you know, getting uh, or immersing in you know, drugs and certain alcohol, you know, then you know, such kind of actions or you know, activities need to be abandoned all uh, at once without any delay. And the same thing you know, then goes for verbal you know, transgression, so verbal misconduct. The first one is certain physical misconduct. So these two, you know, any form of verbal you know, misconduct, like you know, you know, misrepresenting facts and figures, etc., this you know, we need to you know, abandon on you know, the spot. 
And so one might certainly assume that certainly if some unwholesome mental state has arisen and mentally one is transgressing, like wanting to, you know, wanting to take life, wanting to you know, you know, you know, take something that certainly doesn't belong you know, to oneself, and certainly so on, you know, then the Buddha says, don't try to abandon this right away, but rather take a close look at it. And so it's a totally different approach, namely by first of all gaining some understanding about the respective mental transgression and the mental factors involved in this. And certainly it is in seeing, clearly seeing an unwholesome mental state as an unwholesome mental state that the mind certainly then eventually can let go of it. So it's a gradual process. Now, there are you know, situations in our you know, meditation practice where you know, a certain you know, mental you know, factor, unwholesome mental factor, you know, becomes rather strong, and suddenly then you know, we kind of lose control over it, and so, you know, then uh, it creates certain, you know, well, you know, maybe you know, chaos, and so, you know, so in this situation what would be wise to do? Should we just keep observing this unwholesome mental state of fear and then see all the damage that it causes, or should we then gradually take some action? So the Buddha in the Vitaka Santana Sutta, the discourse of you know, removal, you know, removal of uh, discursive you know, thought you know, proposes a gradual approach, namely that certainly you know, one you know, takes uh, you know, gradual steps towards you know, controlling you know, the unwholesome you know, mental state, and so. Uh, when a mental state, negative mental state, becomes really out of or is out of control, then we should beat down the mind with the mind, and then simply suppress it with the help of mindfulness and other related mental factors. So, beating down and crushing the mind with the mind is certain to be understood as a last resort when everything else certain fails. Now, when we undertake this contemplation of the mind, Chitta Nupasana, then in the course of time, this certainly will lead to some rather positive 
development, namely that Satna we will develop a certain detachment towards the mind and mental formations. And if previously we've related to certain mental phenomena as belonging to ourselves, as being the self and so on, then gradually a mindful contemplation of the mind will lead to a non-identification. Now, when we work with a mental state, especially the unwholesome ones, it's, it's important to distinguish between the story that accompanies the mental state and the qualities of the mental state itself. So in the case of anger, it may be some external event, an event. it could be some internal event that triggers the anger, and yet, when it happens like this, then it's important to just look at the mental state of anger itself and then learn something about it. And when we do this and we don't get caught up in the story, then we might suddenly discover how an angry mind is ready to jump on any kind of object that might inflame it and that might lead the mind to an explosion or to go into a strong rage. And once you've observed that several times, you'll get the point and you'll see how ridiculous it actually is and then you will want to tame this anger. Now, when the mind gets overwhelmed, by anger or any of the other unwholesome mental states, then it may easily cause an emotional storm in the mind and with a mind that is undergoing a major storm, it will be very difficult to work. So such a mind will not operate or not function properly. And certainly even if you make a big effort you know, to observe objects clearly and to know their nature, it will be quite certainly difficult. Now, Venerable Analayo, in his book, Satipatthana, in connection with the mindful contemplation of the mind, remarks that it's certainly important to also realize that mental phenomena, mental objects, in the end are just objects. And just like physical objects that come and go, mental phenomena also come and go. And they do not have any connection with an individual entity or such.
oftentimes you know, when we're you know, new to the meditation practice, we might uh, you know, invest a lot of importance into you know, certain you know, mental you know, experiences, mental states, and you know, then you know, we may think that we need to you know, act on these, but you know, in the end, this is really uh, not necessary. And all we need to do is just observe a mental you know, object that comes along and suddenly then and also see it disappear. Now, the instructions on the contemplation of the mind consist of or speak of 16 types of consciousness and these 16 types of consciousness then can be grouped into eight which could be termed ordinary states of mind and then the other group of eight could be referred to as the higher states of mind or lofty states of mind. So by ordinary states of mind, we mean you know, states of mind you know, that have to do with ordinary consciousness, very you know, ordinary sense sphere you know, consciousness, nothing unusual. Whereas the second certain group you know, consists of mind states pertaining to you know, the jhanas and also you know, pertaining you know, to well, the supramundane states as part of the Vipassana practice. Now, in terms of the four ordinary states of footnote mind, we have mind. Yeah, mind yeah, that is associated yeah, with uh, lust, namely raga, yeah, with uh, ill will, yeah, dosa, and uh, yeah, then yeah, with uh, delusion, moha. And uh, yeah, these uh, three are known as uh, yeah, the roots of all unwholesomeness. Now, then yeah, we have. Uh, you know, two mint and as for the first, uh, you know, these uh, three roots of you know, unwholesomeness, they're given a mind you know, that is affected by lust, a mind that is affected, you know, a mind that is unaffected by lust. Then we have you know, the pair of a mind that is affected by ill will, a mind that is not affected by ill will, and then the same thing for delusion. So three pairs of opposites. And so as for the last two, they don't really form a pair of opposites. These Both of them are unwholesome mental states. And as I mentioned earlier on, the you know, shrunken, the constricted mind is basically a shrunken mind, a mind, a mind that is overcome by sloth and torpor, and such a mind is also referred to as a mind that has shriveled. Now, when we look at these 
you know, eight certain ordinary you know, states. Some are of an unwholesome nature, some of are of a wholesome nature. Then the question might certainly be asked, well, a mind associated with greed, with ill will, with delusion is certainly mentioned. Also, the mind influenced by or associated with certain sloth and torpor, and certainly then the distracted mind, so that's certainly your restlessness and remorse. And what about certainly the other unwholesome mental states? They're not being mentioned, did the Buddha forget to mention them? And what's your take on this? Wandering mind. Skeptical doubt. Skeptical doubt. Well, are they mentioned or not mentioned? They're not mentioned, but they're like Lovadosa Moha includes all of us, right? There you go. So even though a number of them, skeptical doubt, etc., are not directly mentioned, they come under the term delusion. And so one of the basic tenets of the Abhidhamma in regard to the mind is that in the case of an unwholesome consciousness, it will always be accompanied by ignorance. Whereas in the case of greed, let's say so consciousness arises that is associated with greed, and in such a consciousness, hatred will not be there. However, ignorance will be there. Or if we have a type of consciousness that is associated with the unwholesome root of hatred or ill will, then the ill will will be there, but not the greed. And ill will will be accompanied by the root of delusion. So greed and hatred, these two mental factors exclude each other. If one is present, the other one is not present. But in the case of unwholesome consciousness, in all cases, ignorance will be present. So. If in a mind certain skeptical doubt has arisen, then by implication we can say that also ignorance must be there. Now, just like you know, there are you know, three roots of unwholesomeness, you know, there are also three roots of wholesomeness, and certainly you know, those are known as non-greed you know, or non-lust, aloba, or aloba, and certainly then of non-hatred, adosa, and certainly then of non-delusion, moha. Now. When we take the expression without a mindset that is without anger, then 
this certainly may uh, assume different meanings, different shades. There's a different shades of meanings here. And the first you know, way of you know, reading you know, this you know, statement is that the mind is momentarily you know, free you know, from you know, irritation. Or it could, a different way of reading the expression is that the mind is overflowing with loving kindness and hence it is free of or without anger. Yet another meaning, shade of meaning, could be that the mind is totally without anger, so taken in an absolute sense, which means a person has become at least an anagami. A mind that is totally free from anger is... Uh, not yet certain you know, that this does not yet happen in the case of a stream entra, but rather in the case of a uh, non returner, an anagami. Because with the attainment of uh, anagami hood, you know, then two you know, mental defilements you know, get uprooted, you know, one essential. No, no, essential no, no, no desire, and certainly the other one no, being um, anger. And an arahant, of course, certainly then is also no, free from no, anger. Now, then the expression without anger may assume yet another no, no, shade of meaning, namely that certainly no, this is no, to be understood in a relative sense or relative in the sense of relative sense of absence of no, 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 anger. So one no, then mm, observes the mind and certainly then mm, the mind is, mm, there's some amount of no, anger no, or no, no, anger has been decreased, but no, some no, amount of it no, still no, remains. So this then no, would be no, the case in no, a stream enter or no, in a no, once no, returner. So a mind that is totally without greed, without anger, and without certain delusion is the mind of an arahant. Now, this then will give you some understanding of what is meant by these ordinary states of mind. And then let us briefly go on and speak about the lofty mind, the lofty states of mind or higher states of mind. Now, these are given as exalted or unexalted state of mind as surpassable or unsurpassable, and then concentrated and uh, unconcentrated, liberated and unliberated. Now, uh, to be uh, very clear and uh, more precise, 
and in the strict sense, the lofty states of mind are actually only the exalted state, and then the unsurpassable state, and certainly then the concentrated and liberated state of mind. Now, the term exalted state of mind in Pali is or in Pali corresponds to Mahagata. Sometimes this also gets translated as a great state of mind. And this expression we find being used in the Patisambhida Magga, the path of discrimination in its first chapter. Paragraph 537. And it is related to the development of absorption, for instance, in the context of the Brahma Vihara practice. So, the practice of developing loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and then equanimity. Now, as for the second loftiness state of mind, we have, or we have, well, the surpassable mind, and then the unsurpassable mind. Now, surpassable does, or is connected with the development of the jhanas. So maybe, or probably, we can also classify this as a loftiness state of mind. Now. Surpassable, sa uttara, me or refers to the abandoning of a particular jhanic factor in order to gain the next higher level of absorption. So to explain this in greater detail, the first jhana is said to consist of five jhanic factors, and those five jhanic factors are the initial application of the mind, then we have the sustained application of the mind, vichara and pani. Then what comes next? Yes, piti, which is joy. And then what comes next? Sukha, yes, which is happiness. And the last one is? One point in this ekagata. Yes, is certainly correct. And so, so when we manage to, or once we've managed to develop the first jhana and we've experienced it already many, 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 many times, then sooner or later, what will happen? Oh, we get certainly tired of all. Well, not quite yet certainly of the joy. Yeah, that happens at a later point. But we get tired of the initial application of the mind. So, vitaka. So, the mind then takes the object of jhana practice, and then it is with, the, with this object for a little while, and then it gets distracted. And so, it loses the samatha subject as the term is being used. And so, so 
this you know, grasping the object and then you know, letting or, or applying the, the mind to you know, this object and then losing it, applying to it and losing it. This you know, is you know, rather unsatisfactory and you know, so you know, then you know, there's a willingness you know, to let go of you know, this first you know, joining factor. With this then, in the fivefold you know, way of fivefold you know, you know, uh, reckoning of uh, you know, the jhanas. The one then moves Satna uh, to you know, the second Satna uh, jhana, which consists of only four jhanic factors, namely you know, of uh, you know, the sustained Satna uh, application of the mind, vichara, you know, then you know, the joy, the piti, then you know, the happiness, sukha, then you know, the one pointedness, and uh, you know, the ekagata. And so, having mastered the second jhana for some time, or worked on it for some time, and gained some mastery, sooner or later one gets tired of yet another jhana factor, and this time around it is well the sustained application of the mind. And so, and then quite naturally, the mind would start dropping this, and suddenly with this, then you know, the third jhana has a chance to arise uh, to, and so to unfold in uh, our stream of consciousness. And suddenly so, this thing you know, consists of, uh, you know, obviously, a joy, and so, you know, then happiness, and of you know, one-pointedness. So, and Ekagata. And then, having mastered this third jhana, then we become tired of the joy. And then, the mind, again, quite naturally, quite automatically, the mind will start to drop the joy. And what remains are just two factors, namely, or one point happiness, sukha, and one pointedness. So, in this explanation, moving from the first jhana to the second, the surpassable jhanic factor would be, or is the initial application of the mind. And then, when passing from the second to the third, then the surpassable factor is the sustained application of the mind. Now, in the fivefold way of reckoning the jhanas, namely the Abhinamatna method, the fifth jhana is said to consist of two factors, namely equanimity and then mindfulness and one-pointedness. And this is referred to as unsurpassable. And the reason for you know, this expression is that one cannot go any further you know, than this. Even if you, you know, go into you know, the immaterial jhanas, then, you know, then this certain you know, one-pointedness and equanimity will still be the base of uh, your practice. Now, 
This is from this is an explanation of the term unsurpassable from a jhana point of view. Now there is yet, as Venerable Analaya points out, a different way of interpreting the term unsurpassable, namely as referring, based on the text, as referring to full awakening, and so in other words, satna aranship. And so one unsurpassable then includes a reviewing knowledge after realization and certainly then realizing that all the mental fetters have been overcome. Now, as for the concentrated state of mind, samahita, in the Pali scriptural language, this certainly refers to states of concentration in calm as well as in calm meditation and insight meditation. So we can gain concentration not only through or not only in samatha practice, but we can also develop the high degrees of concentration during straightforward pure vipassana practice that is not preceded by jhana practice. And if we do such kind of a dry vipassana, which does not involve the earlier practice of the jhanas, then the type of concentration that we're talking about is known as kanika samadhi, momentary concentration. Now, as for the last term of the lofty mind, this is called liberated mind, or vimutta in Nepali, and this then refers to the temporary or the permanent experience of, of mental freedom from defilements in insight meditation and calm uh, meditation. So it could be on a temporary basis, but could also be uh, understood uh, in a permanent way. Now, when it comes to the contemplation of the mind, there is much to be explored, much to be learned about the patterns of the mind, the nature of the mind. And some qualities of the mind that were mentioned already during the talk yesterday, and such as the mind being very swift, and the mind landing wherever, swiftly moving and landing wherever it pleases. And then we also mentioned how the mind can easily change from one state to the next within just a snap of fingers.
gaining more and sort of more understanding about uh, you know, the nature of uh, the untrained mind as well as uh, the trained uh, mind uh, will gradually uh, bring us closer and closer uh, to uh, well uh, the uh, to liberation and certainly uh, first on a, a partial level and certainly uh, later on uh, in an, a complete certain uh, sense now the more we understand the workings of the mind, the less we are likely to suffer from mental phenomena. And when hearing reports given by meditators during the interviews, one gets a sense for how much suffering, unnecessary suffering occurs because of some well, unwholesome, destructive mental pattern that suddenly went unrecognized for so many years. Like uh, to uh, give you an example, um, if uh, you know, one, mm, well, you know, if over years one has played with uh, the mental factor of fear, and certainly uh, sometimes uh, even um, uh, induced its uh, arising, uh, then sooner or later, this fear might become quite strong and at times might become a real threat. And so this needs to be curbed and we need to then change our mind or train our mind that it turns from a you know, a, a mind easily overcome by fear into a fearless sudden mind, into a mind you know, full of courage and uh, bravery. And it can be uh, done. Why not? Now, you know, one very mm, simple and yet so, you know, powerful you know, discovery when undertaking you know, the contemplation of the mind is you know, this uh, you know, distinction you know, between you know, unwholesome mental states and uh, wholesome mental states. Recognizing that there are certain you know, mental states that you know, lead to suffering and there are other wholesome mental states that lead to happiness. And once one has understood this very basic difference, it really helps for the development of more and more wholesome mental states. Now, <coughs> just briefly, a few 
a few words about two mental states, namely a pair of opposite mental states, one being ill will and hatred, dosa, and the other one being loving kindness. Now, when we think of ill will, then we may think of terms such as well, aversion, irritation, anger, and then we think that's that's it. However, there's much much more to this mental state in actual life, and so. Um, a friend of mine, Venerable Wisuda Nachara, and now Visu, has compiled a list of synonyms for anger, and this list is as follows. Namely, so there's hatred, there's anger, ill will, malice, and then there's cruelty and brutality and aversion and irritation and annoyance and indignation and frustration and resentment and prejudice and intolerance and then you know, there's impatience you know, then we get furious you know, we get enraged you know, we smolder we boil and you know, we become vengeful and uh, you know, we might even become sarcastic and, so, and then you know, there are even forms you know, that most people tend to forget, you know, such as uh, you know, the mindset you know, that uh, you know, becomes sullen, and suddenly you know, the mindset you know, that is sulking. And what about giving the silent treatment? Have you ever experienced this? Do you know what this is? <laughs> so. <coughs> Sometimes, when we get upset with another person, there's nothing we can say, and then we don't want to get into an argument, then we might just decide to give another person the silent treatment, and we stop communicating with him or her. Or we might become the victim of a silent treatment, and then for some odd reason, we're not worth being spoken to anymore. And this obviously is not that pleasant. Now, um, related forms of anger are your fear and even depression, sadness, and then related to it is also sorrow. Now, to keep it short, the classical definition of hatred is given as having the characteristic of ferocity or savageness. And the simile or the example is that of a provoked snake. So if you provoke a cobra, or let's say a Russell Viper, then what will it do? (laughs) 
A Russell's viper, if you add, if you, you know, provoke it, or even a cobra, it will come right after you. And so, so this may not be that certainly pleasant. And <laughs> and so, if you have provoked one of your fellow human beings, you might certainly expect a similar reaction. And so, in one way or another, this other person, the provoked person, might want to go after you. And so, and then the function is certain to spread, and certainly here, you know, like a drop of you know, poison, that's, uh, or, or maybe like a drop of acid, you know, that gradually eats up you know, the material it has fallen on. Or uh, a second function is given as certain to burn up its own support, like a forest fire. Now, the support is the mind and the body. This is to be understood in the sense that when we are overcome by anger, then it will cause damage to the mind in which it has arisen, and it will also cause damage to the body. And then we find that the mind becomes all, all or burning hot like a, like a charcoal and so burning coal. And suddenly then the body might get all tensed up and then the heart might starts throbbing very strongly. And then we find ourselves perspiring strongly, and the red might suddenly turn red, and suddenly the hand suddenly forms a fist. Now, the manifestation of anger is as persecuting, like an enemy who has just received his golden opportunity to go after. Um, the opponent, and so you know, one wants to um, one wants to take revenge. One you know, wants to um, do harm to another you know, person, and so you know, then the proximate cause of uh, anger is given as a ground you know, for annoyance. Agata awatu in the Pali scriptural language. But basically, anything can do to upset the mind if anger is latent or is present in it in a latent form. Now, the text suddenly compare or say anger should be regarded as suddenly being like stale urine mixed with poison. And <laughs> so the mixture couldn't be worse. Now, um, clearly, un or, or, you know, Buddhist Abhidhamma distinguishes between unhealthy states of mind and healthy states of mind. And so, healthy states of mind are your wholesome, 
mental states, whereas the unhealthy states of mind are the unwholesome ones. And so the unwholesome mental states of mind um, have um, negative consequences. They lead to uh, unpleasant karmic results in the future, either in this very existence or some existence in the near future. Whereas in the case of wholesome mental states, they lead to pleasant karmic results, sukha, vipaka, in the Pali scriptural language. Now, uh, anger is a mental state that can become extremely powerful and then can bring much harm to ourselves, but also to our environment, to the people we live with. And so if we decide to act on anger, on anger and we act out, then this may damage our wholesome relationship with others to well, a tremendous degree. And that may then lead as far as the stage of separation of total of first of polarization and separation so that then one if you have a couple then the couple decides to break up and each goes in different directions or in the case of two groups being in conflict out and anger being strongly involved, then one group might decide to just run away and call it quits. Or in a company, when much anger when anger has arisen in different key players, then it may lead to one, let's say, some um, um, CEO getting fired by the board, board of directors. Now, on the other hand, we have loving kindness, and the Pali term for this is metta. And so the commentary to the Sutta Nipata then defines metta as hita sukha upanaya kamata. And this means there is a desire of bringing welfare and good to one's fellow human beings. And so the corresponding Sutta Nipata verse is Sutta Nipata verse 73, namely, and I'll just give you the English version, love or loving-kindness, equanimity, compassion, release, 
pursue untimely sympathetic joy at odds with none in all the world, fare on as alone, as lonely as a rhinoceros. And so, so when it comes to you know, the range of loving kindness, then it embraces all you know, beings, human beings, as well as certain you know, living you know, beings. In the case of you know, compassion, karuna, it embraces those who you know, suffer. And as for you know, mudita, it is a state you know, that extends you know, kind of thoughts to those who are successful in life and happy. And in the case of equanimity, upika, it certainly includes all living beings, whether they are pleasant or unpleasant, whether they are good or bad, and lovely or ugly, loved or unloved. So there's an unbiased way of dealing with beings. Now, the characteristic of ill will or anger was as certain ferocity, and certain other characteristic of loving kindness is quite a different, namely as promoting the welfare of living beings, wishing for their welfare and happiness. And then the function of anger was to burn up its own support. And in the case of loving kindness, it is to prefer the welfare of others. And then in the case of ill will or hatred, the manifestation was as persecuting, wanting to go after one's opponent. And certainly in the case of loving kindness, the manifestation is as removal of ill will. So loving kindness serves as an antidote to ill will. It's not the only one, but one out of at least two or three. Now, patience being another quality that is opposed to hatred. Now, the proximate certain cause for the arising of anger is a cause for annoyance, or in the end, anything will do. <coughs> Sorry. Whereas, in the case of loving kindness, it is seeing the good quality qualities in others. Now, this very last point is extremely important. When it comes to human beings, and or when it comes to our enemies, they have not just they're not just entirely bad. 
Yeah, but that yeah, they yeah, will surely also have uh, some yeah, positive uh, qualities. And it could well be yeah, that mm, a person who now is uh, your enemy at an earlier point in life yeah, was of one of your, your friends who has helped you a lot. And yeah, so in order to arouse loving kindness, it's worth considering or remembering the positive, the wholesome, the skillful qualities of that person. And so when you focus your, when you keep your attention focused on these wholesome qualities, these good qualities in another person, then it will be easy for loving kindness to arise. But if we keep, as the mind loves to do, if we keep focusing on the unwholesome qualities in another person, all his or her many flaws, mistakes, disadvantages, shortcomings, and whatnot, and life, you know, we've been, let's say, we've been together for a long period of time, so then one knows each other already very well, and one knows exactly where these shortcomings are. So if we keep focusing on those negative points, then what to expect but ill will arising. So contemplation of the mind, citta nupasna offers a tremendous opportunity to steer the mind away from unwholesome mental states and certain to steer it towards more and more wholesome mental states. Now, let me conclude today's Satna Dhamma talk by wishing may the contemplation of the mind, Chitta Nupasana, give you a powerful tool with which to discover all the intricacies of the mind. May you discover what is not so helpful in your own mind. And also, may you develop those wholesome qualities of the mind. And thus, may the mind gradually become stronger and stronger, more and more wholesome, and suddenly then may become more and more uh, or more and more reliable, and eventually may it suddenly carry you all the way to the state of liberation from all suffering. And this is it for now. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.